Welcome everyone to the Defiance Weekly Recap, another incredibly eventful week in crypto and DeFi. And we are here to discuss and analyze and give you all the highlights of what happened this week. Um, I'm Cami Russo, the founder of the Defiant. Uh, we are here with YYC Trader, our director of news, Eddie Robinson, our uh, editor, contributing editor, uh, Owen and Alex, our staff reporters, um, stellar crew, uh, keeping us all updated on the biggest news. Um, and this week, uh, we'll have a special guest joining us from afar. Uh, so stay tuned. He'll join us in, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but first, a quick run through of what we'll be talking about in the rest of the recap. So again, uh, crypto news have been dominated by SBF. Um, huge story, obviously. It's not going away anytime soon uh, because he's not going away. Uh, so, uh, and, and this week he was very much present in front of all sorts of big platforms and, and cameras. So this week was dominated by Sam Bankman-Fried's publicity tour in just like these major conferences and news outlets. So we'll talk about uh, all the um, spicy bombshell declarations that he uh, gave and, and didn't uh, give, uh, just as important. Um, there was also, you know, another domino to fall with BlockFi earlier this week, filing from bankrupt bankruptcy. On the DeFi side of things, we we have really interesting developments that uh, we, we want to highlight and may, um, you know, go a little bit unnoticed with all the SPF news, but really interesting developments in Compound and Aave de-risking. So it's like DeFi being the grown-ups in the room, <laughs> weirdly. Uh, there's uh, Uniswap's new NFT marketplace and some news about, you know, regulators being even more skeptical uh, of crypto than they they were uh, before if that's possible so uh, stay tuned for that and also before i bring in our, our guest uh, a shout out to our sponsor uh, railgun they enable uh, privacy in crypto so super uh, important feature and uh, we'll give them a shout out later uh, in in the recap so Let's see. There we are, Gabriel Haynes, who is down in Bahamas in the manhunt for SBF. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Not only am I in the Bahamas, I am in Albany. SBF's wow. house is behind me in the background. Amazing. Jesus. <laughs> have you seen him yet? I have not seen him. I don't know if he's actually here. Uh, yeah. He said in a recent interview that he's not, mm -hmm. but... Uh, Let's assume he's right. Very close. Yeah. A, a guy who was there would say he was not there, right? So exactly. You know. <laughs> so what have you found? Like, what what are the vibes like there? What are people saying? Yes, a lot of the people, a lot of the locals here, they seem to really like SBF and FTX. Obviously, they spent a lot of money. Gabriel, we, we're sorry, we're not. Um, there's like a lot of wind. I don't know if you can cover your 
your your mic or something. Okay. Is that better? Maybe a little yeah. better. Yeah, that's better. I'm not in the best conditions, uh, as I mentioned, but uh, regardless, the locals seemed to like them a lot. Uh, they didn't seem to cause any trouble when they would go out. It didn't mm. seem like they had drugs on them or were doing any like crazy sexual orgies. Um, so for the people that lived here, they seemed to like them and they seemed to miss their presence um, you know, and the lack of cash flowing. There, I, I read that they had like a $50,000 tab, uh, like unpaid tab open in one of the Margaritaville. bars in yeah. Margaritaville. Did, did you check that out? Yeah, we went to the Margaritaville yesterday. Uh, we spoke to a few people there. The Margaritaville had a deal with FTX where they would give discounts uh, to the employees. So I guess it was a popular spot. Uh, we also spoke to the valet person at the Margaritaville. And like I said, he really liked uh, the FTX people. He said he even had a few of their phone numbers in his phone. He had a personal close relationship with them. And he, again, he said that uh, they never caused any problems. They would always come, have a nice time at dinner, eat a lot. But again, no, nothing too crazy. Doesn't seem like they were doing lines of cocaine at dinner. Doesn't seem like there were strippers uh, being did. Um, so pretty low key as far as he was saying. So what what's your your goal now? Like what what do you expect to like get from you know having traveled there? I want to get some entertaining shit, some funny ass videos. <laughs> that's that's the best I can do. I mean, I can get as close to SPF as possible. I don't know exactly where he is, but uh, just getting into the Albany is not that easy. I mean, you have there there is security here. There's security all around. Uh, but once you pass the gate, um, it's not too uh, locked down. Um, but yeah, I want some uh, some funny content. That's what people sent me here for. So, so like, uh, I mean, have you made contact? Do you think there's a chance of meeting, making contact with any former FTX employees? Uh, I highly doubt it. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of people... First of all, going record is definitely not, even the people that aren't necessarily directly FTX employees, they don't want to talk about it on camera. As sure. people want to stay as far as possible from this whole situation as they can. You know, as far as FTX employees, I don't know how many FTX employees are actually here on the island. I know that they recently announced that um, they would continue to pay some of the FTX employees that are here, um, mm -hmm. but the FTX headquarters is closed. You mm -hmm. cannot access it. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know where else they would be. Maybe in like Sam's parents' house or something, <laughs> um, but right. I'm not really sure. Yeah, for sure. I wonder if you could, can you find his house? Can you like get outside that like legendary yeah, we're right, we're right here. If, I don't want to go too close right now, but if you look sure. all the way behind me, you see that boat. Behind the boat, that is, is his actual apartment. It's called the Orchid. Um, it was briefed for sale uh, maybe last week. I don't know if you all remember, but it was listed for sale at like 30 or 40 million. Uh, we called the agent. We tried to get a look inside, um, mm -hmm. but it was by the liquidators. So mm -hmm. actually, it's no longer for sale and it's going to have to go through the court system. Gotcha, gotcha. Huh, okay, well maybe that's a way uh, FTX users can get some of their money back, you know, selling off all of their real estate uh, they they bought in, in the Bahamas. And, I don't know, I, turn yeah. it into a timeshare for FTX users so that they each get like uh, <laughs> a week out there. Uh, <laughs> a day of the year. <laughs> um, 
yeah i guess like it's just like seeing your background there it's it's a stark kind of contrast to what f sbf portrayed himself to be you know this just like very altruistic like not uh, interested in kind of you know just like wanted to give all his money away but he was obviously living in very luxurious um settings yeah, actually, to get in here, I just told them that I'm altruistic, and then they just let me <laughs> so it was all good. Amazing. Um, okay, well, any any kind of, uh, you know, parting words? Like, where, where can people follow your the videos that you'll be putting out uh, while you're there? Yeah, just uh, follow me on Twitter, at Gabrielle Haynes. Uh, I just want to shout out to people that actually supported me enough to send me here um it, we got 10k raised in a matter of 24 hours i didn't even deploy funding the juice box funding someone else did it was completely decentralized completely trustless um, but i'm happy here uh to to represent crypto twitter and thank you for their support and again follow me at gabrielle haynes uh if you want some updates mother of degens there in the background waving follow her as well um and, uh, i hope i uh brought you some valuable information if you have any more questions anyone can feel free to send me a dm i'm going to be here for one more day hot tips so thank you very much guys hot tips hot tips hot mom <laughs> all right thanks so much gabriel <laughs> bye 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 see ya looks like there's a whole contingency of like <laughs> sbf investigators at the bahamas <laughs> So it's a, yeah, it's a good yeah. excuse to head down there guys maybe maybe you know we, we need to do some some reporting on right, right, right. where SVF lived yeah uh margaritaville correspondent hey hey yeah there you go. <laughs> 24 nice. hours a day right <laughs> um so okay so let's start before we we go back to speaking about um SBF. I wanted to start with just like the very latest news. We, we had um, a couple of things break uh, overnight and, and today. And um, first, first item is this hack uh, where the, the hacker minted six quadrillion of anchor tokens in the Binance Smart Chain. Um, YYC, do you want to uh, walk us through what, what happened there? Uh, sure. So Anchor is this um, liquid, I mean, it's a Web3 infrastructure protocol. So it has a bunch of verticals. Uh, they have tools for developers, uh, etc. But one of their main products is liquid staking for a variety of tokens, including ETH, uh, BNB, and a bunch of layer one tokens. So, so what happened yesterday was, um, someone uh, managed to get control of Anchor's uh, de uh, deployer key and use the deployer wallet to mint, uh, well, it says six quadrillion dollars worth of the token, but obviously there wasn't uh, enough liquidity for uh, the hacker to cash out, right? So he minted uh, 10 trillion tokens in total, and then he, he went on to basically dump them wherever he could find liquidity. So there was some liquidity on PancakeSwap and ApeSwap, uh, which are DEXs on uh, BNB chain. And overall, he was able to cash out about five five and a half million uh, dollars into stable coins, which, which he then bridged 
uh, over to ETH and then bought ETH with it. And this morning he's been uh, moving them through a tornado, right? As most exploiters do. But even more interestingly, um, while the ex exploit was happening, an opportunistic trader took advantage of the falling uh, price of uh, this liquid staking token called ABNBC. And he spent around uh, $3,000 to buy uh, a whole boatload of these tokens when they, they were worth almost zero, right, after the exploiter dumped them. And then he deposited these tokens on a lending platform called Helios, which had not yet updated its pricing for the token. So it still tracked the price of BNB. Um, so he was able to borrow about $16 million worth of the Hay stablecoin, which is Helios's um, um, stablecoin. Uh, or I'm not sure actually whether it's Helios's or uh, another one, but yeah, he was able to borrow uh, $16 million worth of this stablecoin, which he then swapped to BUSD, which is uh, Binance's dollar peg stablecoin. And yeah, so he actually ended up making three times what the actual exploiter did. That's insane. So exploiter made about $5 million and he made, and this second um, opportunistic trader uh, made 15 million off of this. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some speculation that, uh, you know, the two are related because um, if you mm -hmm. look at the second trader's wallet, like it, he's been, uh, it seems like he was trying to do the same thing. Like it was practicing all day until it went through with smaller amounts. So it seems like he was expecting it to happen, right? So it's possible that, uh, you know, uh, it could be the same person or whatnot. But uh, so far, we don't know. So, yeah, we, we keep seeing these uh, hacks, which are effectively market ways to manipulate the the market and like tokens and lack of liquidity in, in DeFi. Um, do you think that, I mean, who 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 is the most hurt by this i mean this this hacker like minted these tokens out of nowhere but i i presume you know there 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 has to be someone on the other side of this trade that lost money so but but it's it's just like it's hard to actually see that when these exploits happen so like who who got hurt here it was it kind of the, the holders of this this token of the anchor token uh yes um, because uh, uh, basically how anchors uh, liquid staking worked was uh, uh it's similar to stake teeth on uh, ethereum right so you would stake your bnb with them and you would get this uh, a bnbc token right which you then uh, hold or you could deploy in DeFi, etc um, and now that token is essentially worthless because uh, it's been dumped to zero right and uh, Anchor says uh, the underlying assets are safe. So I'm not sure what their plan is to kind of reconstitute uh, and make users whole. But given that it's $5 million, I think Anchor as an entity should be able to uh, withstand the hit. Now, on the other side, with the second um, trader, it's the lenders on Helios that got wrecked. Because um, I think, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I think... Uh, Helios had basically hard-coded the value of um, uh, this, um, what's it called, A, B, and B, C, two mm. B, and B, assuming that they would trade together being like liquid staking uh, 
a token, right? But um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. So, so the issue here is basically like pricing and oracles, right? Because you're not um, getting accurate pricing drawn to the lending protocol in time to prevent mm -hmm. something like this from happening. Do so, you know if, if they were using Chainlink or like what kind of Oracle? I don't think they had any Oracle. Like I said, I think oh. they had hard coded. Oh, oh they had hard coded. Okay, so yeah. that's a big issue. Yeah. Again, um, not not totally certain on that part, but I, that's what I uh, read uh, in a few places. Okay. So, I mean, that's one takeaway for uh, traders in DeFi. Uh, look at using protocols that have a robust Oracle and pricing system and just enough liquidity right to to withstand these uh changes yeah um, I mean, time is always the enemy right because if there's a lag between an exploit or something like this happening where a token moves in an outsized way and you're exposed to it on some protocol that you may may not even make the connection right but it the interconnections are so uh, widespread now in DeFi, right? So a random token on some other chain might wreck your protocol too, if it's, uh, uh, you know, supported as collateral or right. something like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's high risk, high return. So you, you when, when you're getting into these um, less liquid, newer protocols, using smaller, uh, smaller cap tokens, you are, you are taking a risk. Uh, and, and this is what can happen for sure. Uh, Kevin Chambers in our comments says, uh, should we applaud the hacker for exposing an insecure smart contract? I don't think, I don't know. I don't think it, 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 hackers should be applauded, but I think there there are lessons to learn from, from these exploits uh, for sure. Um, let's move on to the next uh, kind of breaking news right now. Um, uh, so, Finally, some some action around around SBF and and FTX. It looks like the DOJ is is uh, starting or asking for for a probe uh, into Sam Bankman Bankman Fried's um, alleged fraud. So um, I think you know this is what most people in in crypto are are looking for some. Uh, legal action being being taken to investigate what what happened and um, and hopefully you know get some some answers and some resolution for for the victims right um any anyone kind of uh, know more details on on this or is it just too too new of a, a development I think it just happened this morning. And yeah. it was a bankruptcy uh, bankruptcy trustee that um, put this out, um, and not too many more details from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what this is, um, this will probably be a uh, forensic accounting project. That so justice would like, you know, to rely on some kind of forensic accounting examination that it could submit to the court, which would probably form the basis for. For additional action, it's interesting that um, that they're doing this outside the auspices of the department itself. Of course, Justice mm -hmm. has a lot of forensic accountants who would work in the investigative arm there. Um, but because this whole thing is being run through the bankruptcy court, it's probably a kind of formal 
step that has to be taken. Um, it's, you know, if you're FTX, if you're an officer of the company, um, if, you know, you have any responsibility, even the VCs who backed it, uh, this is going to get really uncomfortable because um, the forensic accountants will follow every cent worth of the value in the asset to completely map the the picture of what assets went where, where were the black holes, et cetera, et cetera. And it's striking because that eventually, that report, you'll be able to cross-reference it with all of the statements that SBF is making in public now. And I know, Alex, I know you've covered this quite a bit this week, but um, it's crazy to see the CEO of a company that's such such a huge target of all of these different regulatory actions, there's going to be civil actions, just speaking so candidly and openly um, about everything that's happened. Every statement that he makes is going to be introduced in any kind of proceeding and is going to inform whatever action the feds decide to take. Um, and it's, I, I can't recall a similar situation where you had such a spectacular failure and you had a senior officer who, as one of our videos on our YouTube channel put it today or yesterday, just won't shut up. <laughs> exactly. And and that uh, leads us very, very nicely um, into the, the big story this week, the uh, SBF media tour. It's, it's, I agree, Ed, it's, it's so strange seeing this, uh, you know, CEO of the failed crypto exchange, which, you know, could be responsible for one of the biggest frauds in history. If it's true that they actually took 10 billion of uh, user funds to to trade crypto in, in the sister company and in, in, in Alameda Research. If those allegations are, are true, it, it'd be one of the biggest financial scandals of all time. And we see the CEO here, you know, sitting in this New York Times conference on um, Good Morning America and giving out interviews. And, and, Good Morning and, America. Yeah, I mean, just like. Uh, so, Alex, you, you were following this uh, story this week. What kind of um, what are the highlights? Like what what are the, the, the main kind of points you think? SBF was trying to get across because this is obviously him trying to spin a narrative, right? He's trying to uh, get people to see things a certain way. So wh why do you think that that is? Uh, I mean, the, the, the short and, and obvious answer is that he wants people to believe that this was all an honest mistake rather than um, like premeditated fraud. Mm. Um, whether that's the case or not, I'm sure will come out in court eventually. Um, but he he's had a flurry of media appearances this week. And uh, actually, if you read, uh, there's a, a Q&A with him in New York Magazine, where um, the reporter there says that he had been uh, he had made a, an agreement with the New York Times where he wouldn't give media interviews uh, until after his deal book appearance, which uh, which I wrote about um, earlier this week. Um, he had 
spoken to this New York Magazine reporter uh, like a week or two ago and uh, essentially said, you can't publish this until after I make my appearance. So since the deal book appearance, we've seen him at Good Morning America, as we mentioned, this New York Magazine Q&A dropped and he's been making the rounds on Twitter spaces. So last night he was on um, Mario Nowfall's Twitter space. Um, he was on uh, another whose name escapes me right now. Um, but he, yeah, I mean, he's been talking to essentially anybody who, who would have him, it seems. And he insists that it was a mistake. It was, uh, an error of, uh, uh, essentially like lack of paying attention and of proper, uh, risk management. Um, let's see, what are some of the other highlights? I mean, he, in the uh, in the deal book appearance, he had been pressed on a couple of things. Um, uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin, the the New York Times reporter, had asked him about some of the more salacious things that had been floating around out there, including allegations of like regular amphetamine use, which is something that he and Carolyn Ellison had tweeted about uh, earlier in their careers. And he he insists that there was no crazy debauched. Um, culture at FTX, that everybody was very low key and that anything he took had simply been prescribed by, uh, by a doctor, um, didn't, you know, uh, acknowledge or, or uh, contradict any specific drugs that people have, have suggested he'd been taking. Um, what else? Um, he, he somewhat contradicted himself at points during the during the appearance. You know, his time timeline was a bit uh, mixed up. You know, talking about when exactly he started to get nervous about uh, FTX and, and the run on customer deposits and being able to to honor them. Um, he acknowledged that. Uh, Essentially, because F, uh, FTX being a crypto platform had trouble um, opening a bank account for years that people would wire funds directly to Alameda's bank account, which would then get credited to their FTX account. And um, he, he had repeatedly insisted that, to his knowledge, uh, the two companies that he had founded, Alameda and FTX, had never commingled funds, but that, you know, the facts that to get funds onto FTX, you had to route them first through Alameda would seem to uh, contradict that. So it, it, it uh, was, I mean, the, the interview, I think was like his nonverbal uh, language was, was very telling. Um, and the way he was responding to questions was, was very, very telling to me because he simply refused to give straight answers like he had this way of you know just like sidestepping the question so um yeah like andrea sarkin asked him did you you know point blank did you commingle funds and he said i didn't knowingly commingle funds you know right. so it's 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 a it's a way of, of trying to kind of brush responsibility off eh, his shoulders i guess it, yeah and people have, have you know a, a lot of people have been like man what's this guy doing why does he keep tweeting why does he keep making these media appearances doesn't he have any lawyers and you know sorkin asked him 
your lawyers probably don't want you here, do they? And he, you know, smiled sheepishly and said, no. Um, whether that was an honest answer or not, um, it's clear that he, uh, he knows what he's supposed to say. Right. Mm -hmm. Just that answer. I didn't knowingly commingle funds. The way everything is phrased, not to my knowledge, you know, it's he he's spoken to lawyers. They've told him how how to to answer these questions, what turns of phrase to use. And and you see it over and over and over again in each of the appearances that he's made so far this week. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there might be there might be a kind of method to the madness here i was thinking about mm -hmm. this today of um maybe maybe he's got some kind of jujitsu going on where he's if you talk to everybody if you just become an absolute open book anybody who calls up you grant them an interview you, you you'll talk as long as possible you'll do dm conversations etc 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 eventually everyone gets bored you know it just kind of like Peter's out, people move on, the story kind of ebbs, there's nowhere left for the story to go. I mean, it's, it's like a crazy, it'd be a crazy PR strategy. And I'm not it, suggesting yeah. like, he's actually done this, but there is like a weird flood the zone type of thing mm. going on, where, you know, I, I just, in, in a sense, you almost don't want to hear about him anymore. You're like, Oh, God, another SBF interview, like, what's he saying now? And yeah. it kind of dilutes the sensationalism yeah. of the story. Imagine the opposite. Imagine mm. if he only granted one interview and it was, I'm going to give one interview and it's going to be on, you know, December 23rd before everybody goes on holiday. And I'm just, I'm going to finally spill the beans. That would be, you know, it'd be a huge buildup. But by doing this, he's kind of diffusing the story PR. Now that has no impact whatsoever on the legal side. Right. That goes on here. But clearly, as Alex, as your reporting shows, clearly his head is so locked into public perception, you know, is so locked into how he's viewed and perceived in the public marketplace. That's his number one priority. And it's 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 really fascinating. There's a, there's a, like, a debate. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. There's a bit of a debate online about. Um, whether it's responsible for journalists to be platforming him like this, because in some people's minds, it's giving him an opportunity to to wriggle out of culpability somehow. And as uh, as you just noted, Ed and, and Jake Travinsky, head of policy at the Blockchain Association, has noted online as well. Yeah, I saw that. But, yeah. You know, what, whatever you know, however successful um, SBF is in shifting public opinion in his favor it's not going to matter should he get charged with anything because if that were to right. happen there'd be subpoenas you know he'd no, he's, to, he's, you know, it's like like yeah, yeah. It, this won't get him out of trouble yeah i would counter that by saying look he's a newsmaker in crypto he's one of the top newsmakers of the year so if he's speaking to journalists and he's allowing journalists to ask him questions and he's doing it on the record and so forth. Journalists are just reporters, you know, we're not judge and jury. So if he wants to speak, he speaks, you know, we're not, I don't think you can blame journalists for <laughs> interviewing, you know, as Cammy said, um, you know, the author of potentially 
one of you know the biggest cataclysms in in the crypto industry no imagine you know getting an interview with vladimir putin right now like you're gonna tell a journalist not to do that like (laughs) come on of course i I think that spf is putin but no no (laughs) (laughs) different but yeah no i think i think that's a really fair point it's he was always known as uh, thanos of DeFi. so since he wrecked our yields for two and a half years straight (laughs) right and honestly, for Good someone point. who took yeah. that many focus drugs, his memory is terrible. He can't recall anything. Oh, I don't remember this. I don't remember that. Like, come on. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think it's clear. I don't know if he was the genius trader that he he portrayed himself to be after, you know, everything kind of comes to light. Um, but if one thing is true, he is proving to be a genius marketer. And it, it looks like everything he, he had done uh, until this point and, and, and much of the success that he got was because he knew how to build this persona, right? Like this guy who uh, wanted to give his money away, was super, you know, altruistic, was driving a Corolla or whatever, um, was always looking so like disheveled and like he didn't care about his appearance. And like, meanwhile, you know, we saw his luxurious compound right now live uh, that, you know, Gabriel uh, showed us. Uh, and he's he continues to play that game, you know, like he knows exactly what he's doing when he's going into all these um, media appearances saying, oh, like, I don't I don't know what happened. Uh, our margin position got too big. There was like mislabeling of funds. Like he knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to say this was negligence. Uh, things got too big too fast. I didn't know how to handle this, but it was not fraud. I think that's the message that he's uh, trying to convey and probably, you know, what his lawyers are are telling him to do that. I mean, we're probably getting a glimpse of what SBF's uh, legal strategy is going to look like. I think that's what they, they are going to try to claim, which, you know, like we've also had reports of there being a very deliberate backdoor between FTX and Alameda, that there was this software to hide books. So there, there is evidence or, or at least, you know, alleged evidence, you know, uh, former employees have said that there, there was um, a deliberate intention to hide wrongdoing. So that would contradict this um the spin that it was actually negligence and not fraud, but we'll have to wait until actual, you know, eh, investigators, lawmakers, eh, lawyers eh, bring bring this all to light. Um, and ke- and keep yeah. in mind, I would say there's there's a possibility that no crime was committed and he's never charged with anything. Yeah, we need to. Yeah, also he's he's yep. denied that backdoor thing. Um, now, uh, I mean, given the reporting on it, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if like like that that seems like something that that he might get pinned on, right? Because what it, it either exists or not, mm. right? Um, yeah, but that would whether be it rises damning. to a level whether whether it rises to a level of illegality is that that would right. be the legal subject because these could just be unethical practices. Right. It might not and, be now, and to, to my knowledge, I, now, I, I haven't listened to all, you know, 
40 hours of of interviews that he's given uh in the past two days Has but it been to my that knowledge, much? 40 hours oh my God. i'm joking uh, i i don't know exactly how much it's been <laughs> Sounds like, it feels like it right yeah he, he hasn't i don't i haven't heard anybody ask him yet about something that we know to be true more or less which is um in the in the first bankruptcy documents that were filed by FTX's new leadership, they had mentioned that Alameda was uh, exempt from FTX's auto liquidation mm. uh, software or protocol, whatever. And um, I haven't heard anybody ask him about that yet. So if anybody else knows if he's been asked and has addressed this, I'd be interested in in, in hearing about that. Because I if, think if, I think I think you should I think you should ask him, Alex. Yeah, he's oh, talking to everyone, man. We gotta, we gotta. Yeah, get he's that talking interview. to everyone. Join, join the queue, man. Hold on, let me, let me DM him right now. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't it's you get true. him on the show? Maybe, maybe we can get him on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we but have then we'd that be platforming a fraudster. <laughs> <laughs> alleged or possibly alleged. Alleged. Yeah. I don't alleged. want to get too reliable. Not alleged yet. He hasn't been alleged yet. Um, alleged by crypto Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. but it, there it's you true. Go. That's a great point. I mean, that um, the fact that he was that Alameda was apparently not subject to liquidations is a huge deal that hasn't been addressed in any of the interviews I've seen. I don't know if it was addressed in, in the life in the Twitter spaces. Um, but because if he anyways. insists that the, the like what went wrong is just that Alameda's margin grew too large, like that if they had some kind of special privileges that would that would kind of explain it right yeah absolutely um okay so moving on uh, to the next topic um which is more specifically up uh, our alley uh, in defi i think this this whole theme of uh, of, of defi kind of self regulating is so interesting um and like i said has gone really undercovered but you know continues to highlight why this uh, decentralized finance uh, system can actually be better than than cfi and uh, more transparent um and even if if it's in this regulatory gray area it it can uh you know, token holders can and are voting to uh, make the space safer. So, uh, Owen, you, you covered these developments. Uh, what are the details of, of what happened? I think it was Compound and, and Ave. I don't know if any other protocol also took these like similar steps. Sure. Yeah. So to my knowledge, uh, Compound and Ave have been either freezing some lending pools or lowering the amount of an asset users can borrow. So, you know, we saw Ave freeze, I believe it was 17 pools on Sunday. And then on Monday, Compound passed a proposal to add limits to five pools and then lower the limits of another five pools. So, you know, we saw WBTC, which had no limit, um, jump down to 1,250. Not sure exactly what that's worth now, but the high level is that all these protocols are battening down the hatches and that comes with the context of uh, Eisenberg's trade, which we covered last week, which basically had him borrow a lot of a low liquidity coin curve and short it 
manipulating the price and ultimately leaving Ave with bad debt. So you ha yeah, you do see a self-regulation aspect of these DeFi protocols taking a good look at their parameters and trying to tweak them in order to account for this trade. And I talked to Tarun Chitra of Gauntlet, who who Gauntlet made both proposals, both on Ave and Compound, to adjust the parameters and. I mean, he basically said that they have to, they model out these potential attacks based on the amount of capital uh, an attacker has access to and whether or not it's profitable. And there's math, which I'm not totally familiar with, that they use to model that out. But basically, his feeling was that the attacker didn't quite have the rational impetus. Um, so he was kind of almost more of like a, a Joker-like figure in that he was like, maybe didn't make money on it, but he wanted to kind of watch DeFi burn or see if he could make it burn. So mm. I think they're kind of updating based on that possibility. But on the flip side, you know, something he told me was also like, there needs to be a certain amount of risk for these protocols to make money. I mean, they need to allow for this potential, these kind of attacks to happen, I believe to a certain degree. Um, and they'll tweak the parameters to try to minimize what that could be um, and make sure people couldn't make money on them. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting too, that, that, you know, it grabs headlines. Oh, Ave has bad debt, but like people forget that that's like, that's an M not a B right. in the headline. And it's actually just not, uh, not, not the biggest deal in the world. It's interesting to watch DeFi self-regulate. Yeah, absolutely. I think like the fact that, this these are all decisions that are voted on you know voluntarily by token holders mm -hmm. it's it's just you know I, I think we we kind of get used to this happening covering DeFi all the time but um but it's just you know it's 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 really crazy it's like really revolutionary i think you know yeah, and, and this yeah and, and this is happening as like cfi is blowing up because they they didn't have these controls. Uh, so I think it's a really kind of stark contrast to point out, you know? Uh, yeah, and you can like, yeah, you can go on, you know, I used uh, Tally, the governance dashboard to find this story. And yeah, you can go on Tally, you can see who voted. And, you know, it makes you realize that there's something to be desired for voting. And I think that's a huge problem DeFi is going to need to work through. I think it was like 4.6% participation rate around mm -hmm. for the compound uh, vote. And, you know, a lot of big whales are voting. But still, I mean, it gives you something to work with, right? Like, I mean, I feel like traditional finance generally, like it's it's just so inaccessible that, you know, normal people can't even, they can't even go on a website and figure out what's going on. So, yeah. And I, I think that the fact that, you know, these protocols are, open source and and everyone can simply see the level of risk um and look at these liquidity pools and you know see see what's happening incentivizes these more responsible decisions to be made because you know if uh, if everything was opaque and close to just you know a, a, a small group of insiders within the uh whatever financial entity then what's what's the incentive of you know i mean there's there's nobody to hold you accountable 
So the fact that, you know, Compound and Aave are, are these open protocols means that they need to just do better, right? Because, you know, if, if, if things are getting too risky, if there's a potential for, for exploit, uh, then people will know um, and hackers will come like, you know, like we saw just, just now, just today with, with Anchor. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting how these things are, 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 are playing out. Um, then what's next? Uh, oh, this is okay. This is kind of like a counterpoint, right. To like DeFi becoming, uh, safer and, and, and more responsible. This, uh, this story, um, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like we've been, we've been covering what's going on in the un unsecured lending space in DeFi, um, really closely. It's, it's such an interesting space. It can kind of lead to more uh, people using uh, DeFi without having to put up collateral. So, so that's a, a really exciting use case. Uh, but at the same time, talking about risk, like it does increase risk. So, so what happened here? Sure. Uh, so, so basically, Oros, which is a trading firm, missed a payment on Maple, which is a platform which essentially it's it's like uh, it puts together people who manage a pool and Oros who borrows from that pool, and so M11 manages that pool and that's actually but it's funded with user assets and so m run is like a you know they're, they're professional and they have to do a lot of due diligence about who they're lending to and then users can pretty easily deposit and get a yield on that and generally maple's been successful you know they had direct exposure to alameda for a while and that that all closed down like alameda was lending was borrowing via these pools. And I think the last pool closed out with M11 on September 4th. Um, but I think we're, yeah, we just saw a missed payment by another massive trading firm. And I think people are just on edge about what that, what that means. Um, and so I, I talked to Charlotte who is at Maple and she said it was a missed payment. The smart contract gives them a five-day grace period. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but basically, she said the loan isn't in default quite yet. Hmm. Um, so we'll have to monitor that situation and see what happens. Um, so we're we're yeah we're we're watching. I mean you know and and again like this isn't this the unsecured lending space at least as designed on some of these platforms doesn't necessarily have the transparency that straight up DeFi has in that right. some of these market makers, like you don't know what they're doing. You can see the borrows and the paybacks, but like you don't actually know their trading strategies beyond that. Right. Um, and I guess like what has people on, on, on edge is whether there's something wrong with ROs, right? Yeah. yeah. And no, and they're there. I, I haven't been able to get quite a size and scope, but like, you know, even on their LinkedIn, they say they're, they, they're, they account for a large portion of daily crypto volume and it's interesting to see these major players who you don't really hear about in the news very much but you realize that they're doing a lot of trading behind the scenes so we'll see mm -hmm. and you know in, in a way it's like i think it was you know three million dollars worth of ethereum which for a firm of their size isn't that big so intuitively i you know there's there's cost of concern if if a if a large trading firm can't make a small payment is worth noting and keeping yeah. it out for sure. 
Um, we have a, before we get to our next big story, which is Unisoft's NFT marketplace, um, really, really exciting uh, development in the NFT space. Uh, let's hear from our uh, sponsor, as I mentioned earlier in, in the show, they uh, enable private crypto transactions. So uh, let's hear about Railgun. Until now, crypto privacy has come at the expense of DeFi functionality. The brand new and high-tech Railway private wallet on web and mobile lets you enjoy the world of DeFi while staying completely private. Create an invisible wallet balance, sell and buy tokens privately and anonymously like a dark pool, and enjoy DGEN DeFi goodness without revealing sensitive information like your address, balances, or transaction history. Railway is available on Ethereum, BSC, and Polygon. All right, uh, there you go. Yeah, check them out. Um, uh, they, they they sponsor us, they make these videos possible. So uh, thank you so, so much, uh, Railway. Um, and yeah, let's, let's get to our next big story. Uh, Alex, you covered this one, uh, NFTs in um, NFT marketplace by, by Uniswap. Yeah, so Uniswap launched its new NFT marketplace. It's really, it's it's an aggregator. So it pulls from eight different marketplaces. And um, when it launched earlier this week, it promised, uh, you know, like any new business, that it would be the best. Um, uh, they promised lower gas fees, uh, more NFT listings. Um, and this is part of uh, what, Uniswap founder Hayden Adams has said is a, a vision for having one place uh, at which to exchange any digital asset, whether that's a regular fungible crypto token or an NFT. And um, I spoke to uh, Scott Gray, who's the head of uh, NFT product at Uniswap. He actually had founded Genie, which is a, a NFT marketplace aggregator, just like Uniswap's new market is. Uniswap had acquired Genie earlier this year. And when Uniswap's marketplace launched, Genie closed. It um, it went back in the lamp, uh, Gray told me. <laughs> and um, he he said that it's been interesting. So, you know, it, there was a lot of pressure coming into uh, Uniswap, which is a much bigger business. It's, you know, one of the top five protocols in DeFi. But he really aligned with the vision that Hayden uh, presented him, right? Uh, Gray had gone around just looking for fundraising and he'd approached Uniswap's uh, new venture arm looking for money and they countered with an acquisition and he wasn't interested at first, but uh, really, just, I, I was going to say fell in line, but that's not right. He, he, he was inspired by that idea of creating a uh, one place for for the transaction of any digital asset. Um, Hayden Adams had, had said that this was kind of a way to bring two relatively siloed communities together. It might surprise people, but people who uh, uh, trade NFTs and people who trade in fungible crypto tokens, there's not necessarily a ton of overlap there. Um, I think, and where's the statistic? Um, let me see. Uh, I've got the story here somewhere. 
but doo -doo -doo. should be right towards the top actually i think yeah um, we might have put it in the second uh story that we did it was 20 percent was the overlap okay and, uh, oh, honestly, I, can, yeah, I can vouch for that because most nft <laughs> people have no clue about DeFi at all or they like some of them haven't even heard of it it's just that they got into the space purely for nfts and art and they came from that uh for, for the culture right so yeah they haven't gone so the dirty ponzi's yet <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of people in nfts for the culture but then there's also a lot of people who are just there because it, it's a good trading opportunity so i mean so those are the people who moved over from DeFi. So we went over to extract whatever we could, right? And <laughs> no one cares about the art or nothing. But then I started liking the art, and now I just hold tons of bags that have gone down like 90%. So <laughs> I've got to say, I've heard that from other NFT traders, right? Ah, I was looking to make a quick buck, and holy crap, this stuff is actually really good. Nice. And now I love all it's these addictive. pieces that I have, and I would never think about selling them. Um, and so some of the other stuff that we spoke about... Um, you know, would, you know, Uniswap being one of the leading automated market makers, would they implement something similar to what Pseudoswap has done uh, with its pseudo AMM technology that allows somebody to instantly buy and sell NFT without having to like wait for bids to come in, right? And uh, Gray said, no, he, he actually is friends with uh, the vendor of Pseudoswap. That's part of the reason that he got into the NFT space. He thought that the innovation there was just really interesting and it inspired him to jump in. And, um, you know, Uniswap being an aggregator, it lets people tap into Pseudoswap. That's one of the eight listed exchanges. And really, Pseudoswap is doing a really good job on that front. And, you know, his, his words to me where we don't intend to compete for the sake of competition. Um, if they're already doing a really good job, then then we're happy to leave it at that. Uh, one of the platforms that they don't list is Blur, which now is the uh, second most popular uh, NFT marketplace as measured by trading volume, which is incredible because it launched, I think, this fall. Um, that's not listed on, on Uniswap. And the reason there is simple, Gray told me, it's simply that... Um, uh, Blur hasn't shared with them the API necessary for integration. And whenever they do that, if they do that, they'll be quick to add Blur to their list of supported exchanges. Um, but it's, uh, I mean, it's a big deal. You know, Uniswap is, uh, last it, last I checked, I think it was the fifth largest DeFi protocol. It was measured by TVL. Uh, the fact that it's jumping into this space now has the opportunity to really shake things up. So I'll be interested in seeing really so, how they perform yeah. so is this like competition for OpenSea? that's a good question yyc you might be better uh better able to answer that but i, I don't i wouldn't think so because OpenSea is one of those platforms listed on on uniswap you know anybody who wants to to buy nfts will see everything that OpenSea lists and would you know even if they're using uniswap would effectively be buying through OpenSea if it is an OpenSea listing that they happen to be buying Hmm. Uh, but YYC, you can, uh, what do you think? Um, I agree. For now, it's just uh, an aggregator, right? So it's pulling listings from uh, everywhere. Uh, so like you said, if um, if you buy the uh, NFT through Uniswap, uh, through OpenSea, OpenSea uh, still collects its fees, etc. Now, 
if Uniswap decides down the line to become, like add a marketplace feature where you could list your NFTs directly on Uniswap, like once they gain some market share and awareness and stuff like that, I mean, it would be a logical move, right? Yeah. Um, then, yes, I could see uh, that posing somewhat of a threat uh, to OpenSea. Mm, I would be I would be worried if I was OpenSea, <laughs> to be honest. Seeing Uniswap come into their space, uh, being Uniswap, I, I think it, it, it's a logical step, right, to to allow for that functionality. But but we shall see. And so if they're not doing, um, they're not making an AMM. I guess they they would do it through their like concentrated liquidity uh, mechanism. The, the way that the NFTs would be traded, I, I'd assume, if, if like the traditional AMM is not the the way that they're thinking about about that it. That would be cool. Um, yeah. Not exactly sure how that would work for NFTs, but uh, I mean, I'm sure they'll come up with something. Yeah, but, it would be like you you have to like set a range of like a price, just like you would do for the token. But I don't know. Yeah, that's how pseudo so pseudo AMM is pretty close to that. I think. Mm. Like yeah, you, you set a range where you can sell the NFT at in a certain price range. Yeah, yeah. I was speaking more generally of like just like an order book marketplace like OpenSea, so where you mm-hmm. you could just right. list and place offers, etc., directly on Uniswap, and then you could also get listings from everywhere else, right, using the aggregator feature. So that would be uh, the next step if I was them. Right. Um, thanks, uh, Ryan Har, uh, saying that we're the best in the biz. I agree. Um, I also wanted to highlight a, another comment. Uh, Savio is asking us um, where we think NFTs might go. Who wants to take that one? Oh, and you're kind of working on something about this, right? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take one. Um, yeah, so I'm working on a, an article on uh, Sound, which is a NFT music NFT platform, and you know, these have gotten some flack. I, I, I guess you know, as have all of NFTs. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the guy I, I talked to the founder yesterday, and he was presenting it as digital vinyl and a way to kind of collect in a way which people can also kind of talk about their collections globally. Um, people see upside from the artists, uh, potentially if they buy their songs and then subsequently the artists as well, you can see when the person first supported the artists. So, I mean, but that, that's, that's just one vertical. I mean, I think, um, more broadly, I feel like we're still just scratching the surface as to what an NFT is. And I think we all think of it as a JPEG, but like, you know, we saw a house get sold as an NFT, I think a month or two back. So I think like. I'm not sure, but I, I think this whole idea of like, yeah, altcoins with pictures, like, or just like, yeah, JPEGs, like, is way overblown. And NFTs are just a, I mean, they're they're primitive and with slightly different data. And I, I, I've looked at articles. I'll, I'll stop talking in a second, but like, yeah, I've looked at articles kind of comparing ERC twenties with ERC seven twenty ones, and like, just it, it, it's there's just slightly different metadata, which I think is like includes who the creator was and and has the option to have all these images but i think you need to boil it down to its bare parts and see what that gives you and does that give you the like can you do can you have like kind of legal contracts um formed as nfts can you have like rental agreements um so yeah i i think the the art aspect is just one aspect 
aspect, which maybe got out of hand uh, during the last mm -hmm. um, bull run. Yeah, I think so that's that, a great point. Wait, wait, see, I think you're our de facto NFT expert. So yeah, I don't know why what, I took what, that what are your thoughts? No, like super yeah. interesting points, Owen. I mean, since Robin left, yeah. Otherwise, he would like our hole for NFTs, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But uh, um, I mean, it's even though we're in a we've been in a bear market this entire year, pretty much, right? Um, it's like such a huge difference when you when you look at NFT communities versus, let's say, DeFi, right? Or like just the level of activity and stuff. People are still interested in you know new projects coming out like every day there are two three new mints people are still fighting over whitelist spots gas wars etc i mean and in DeFi, it's just like everyone's just waiting for the next shoe to drop you know it's like silence mainly and i mean small changes like uh, you know these parameter changes and things but nothing really re revolutionary that i've seen in the last few months so um in terms of nfts i think there's a lot of uh, uh community building that's going on right now. And right now at Art Basel, for example, um, there are so many of these scavenger hunt kind of things using POAPs and uh, uh, other like token, uh, what's the other one called? Token proof and all these uh, new tools that let you kind of bridge real world experiences with, you know, just the JPEGs that we have. And people are loving it. Like someone just won a chance to uh, mint an X copy NFT just for like walking to the right place and like unlocking uh, a POA, right? So I think there's there's going to be a lot more of these uh, experience-based things that people will value down the line. And yeah, we've still just scratched the surface as far as NFTs are concerned and use cases, right? Like as Owen said, you could use it for contracts, rentals, like it can make so many things more efficient. But as of now, we're still just flipping JPEGs to each other. So we'll have to see how it actually plays out. Yeah, I agree. Kind of the, the, the JPEG and, and art aspect of it seems like such a small slice of what this primitive, like Owen said, could do. Uh, I think, it, you know, if we think of NFTs as verifiable, property, you know, digital property rights. Um, yeah, like some of it is art, but, you know, you could see so many other use cases down the line. Uh, and we've seen, you know, some uh, emerge with, with real estate. Uh, we There have been, I think, projects working on um, supply chain finance, uh, you know, invoices as NFTs and, and so on. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, as, as, as we... And, and as kind of others have said before, like this bear market is where all of the kind of next big projects are, are going to get built. So maybe, you know, all of the, the next NFT use cases uh, are, are starting to kind of take shape right now as we speak. Yeah, um, we just had this op-ed this week, right, about loyalty NFTs because right. there's been so many. Uh, yep, yeah, uh, there it is. So, so many companies are jumping into uh, Web3 now, right? We had Reddit, Starbucks, um, Nike just announced uh, like Swoosh, which is their new platform apart from Artifact. So it's going to be like more accessible and like for people to dip their toes into Web3. 
So I think with all these big brands uh, making this push, even though like this is probably the worst uh, bear market for NFTs, uh, mm-hmm. or rather the worst market conditions we've seen. Like there's no volume at all, and you know people are just dying. But uh, <laughs> the fact that these companies are still coming in and like deploying and starting to build their communities, etc. I think that's a very promising sign, and that might be the next. Uh, uh, way to grow the user base beyond just DeFi and crypto natives. Yeah. Just one interesting point that I got from the sound CEO is that, you know, music, musicians are going to make music regardless of market conditions. So it's it's interesting to think that maybe the NFT communities, regardless of prices, may be a little more, little more resilient in terms of engagement, mm-hmm. just, just because, you know, they're they're in it for different reasons. You know, kids don't stop trading Pokemon cards because, you know, there's a recession or something. So, right. Yeah. I think it's super bullish for, for NFTs. The fact that, um, they're still around, you know, people are still building there's projects. There's kind of, I mean, yes, like volumes are way down. So it's obviously, you know, some air has been, you know, deflated and the, 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 the market itself is, is just like, a shadow of what it was, but there, there's still, you know, uh, innovation happening there, um, which I, I think is a little bit different from kind of the ICO boom, because I, I think like in, in the bear market, it, after the ICO boom, ICOs were just like not happening. Um, and I think that was in, in part because of like regulation and um, and, and that was a part of it, which isn't really now with, with NFTs, but, um, still, I think p- pretty bullish for the space to see, uh, the, that communities are, are, are still there. Um, and speaking of regulation, I'll, I'll go through the other big stories. We, we, we covered this week, um, quickly as, as uh, we're, we're all already over an hour and uh, we'll, we'll start wrapping up. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to point out these. Uh, just like interesting um, reports. So the uh, the ECB, the European Central Bank, um, their payments division put out this opinion piece saying that Bitcoin is on the road to irrelevance. So it made a big splash, obviously, in, in crypto. Um, we have a video on this, so uh, check it out. Um, but you know it i don't know it's just crazy to me how far away uh these you know two worlds are like what what we understand as as pretty like common sense and obvious at this point you know that okay maybe we will disagree on kind of how how much of finance we think crypto will be but uh, i think to me, it's 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 obvious that there is value there. You know, like Bitcoin, blockchain technology, crypto does provide provable, you know, value that's plain to see. But you know, things like like these, like like this opinion piece, uh, are a reminder that not everyone uh, sees this the same way. Um, and so, um, yeah, like they 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 go down a, the, a list of reasons why they think bitcoin is pretty pretty much useless and it's a bubble that's going to pop and and so on um so check out this video i think alex you 
you um you presented uh, this one right yeah yeah so so check it out and then there was this other uh piece this other report making the rounds which we also made a video on um it was a report that came from jp morgan uh, not as bearish as the ecb's report but um you know still still interesting i, I think they uh, jp morgan makes um makes good points they uh they see kind of a, one of the biggest consequences of what what of ftx uh, they see that a, a lot of kind of regulatory action will come out of of this uh in, like collapse of, of of the exchange which um i i think you know i think we can all agree that that's the case we were already seeing uh, the you know statements from regulators and there will be more scrutiny in in this space for sure so that was one part of the report the the section that i thought was more interesting was almost like half of the report was actually focused on DeFi, and they were saying that while you know you may think that DeFi should benefit from what's happening with ftx and what's happened this year with the rest of cfi they don't think that uh, DeFi will be able to uh, to actually um, you know leverage uh, what's happening because they they, they just see too many um, hurdles uh, for institutional investors so they criticize uh, dex's slow transaction times lack of privacy um and like regulatory gray area you know all, all things that uh, we've we've discussed before so i th i think it's it's a fair point like uh, unlike the ecb's paper which i you know there's just like it's so far out uh, of of what i think is true um jp morgan makes actual kind of you know knowledgeable arguments uh, against DeFi that i think they're they're worth looking at um i think you know i think they're all things that are, are being worked on but they're they actually do make a, a good point so uh check out this video as well um and then finally um we have this layer one uh, story on how revenue uh, you know protocol fees for for layer ones are falling off a cliff you know i think not too surprising uh with what the market is doing um but you know still interesting to see what kind of uh, the activity looks like right now and then finally this story was super interesting um maybe alex you you, you want to uh, uh, take it uh it's um you know andrew Kanye. Uh, comes back and uh, explains what what happened with with Phantom and gives kind of like the lessons learned, which I thought it was super interesting. Yeah, the short summary is um, that the Phantom Foundation got into yield farming uh, and into making money on DeFi protocols and. A couple of years ago, when it was kind of like on a slow march to just running out of money it had raised 40 million dollars and at one point i think it was as low as 3 million because it the 40 million it had raised was all in crypto tokens and it sold at the bottom 
of the 2018 bear market and was left with a fraction of that. And, you know, it, it had staff that it had to pay. It was slowly bleeding money. And then they got into DeFi just at the right time. I mean, this was right before DeFi summer took off in like 2020 and 2021. And they went from 3 million to at one point, $1.5 billion. Jesus. They have a lot less now, but they still have hundreds of millions of dollars and their runway or, or the amount of money that they have uh, to continue paying their employees and running their business. Uh, the runway is now at 30 years where at one point it had, it had been only four. And, so, and they got that just because they, they started trading their treasury in DeFi? That was that was a big part of it. Um, you know, he he's not super detailed in this blog post. It's almost like a set of bullet points like, mm -hmm. you know, May 2018, we get into yield farming, you know, tw I'm making that up. That's not actually the exact date. But then, you know, yeah, you know, June 2020, we have this much in our account. August 2020, we have this much in our account. And um, and he, he closes out with saying, if not for D5 Phantom, might not be here right now um but that's you know, uh, i it's, think that's, that's it's it's such um i don't know uh it, it it was such a risky move you know to start trading your project treasury and and they got lucky that they yeah. you know they made money they couldn't do that now. Farming, but yeah that's a bull market they were buoyed by a bull market and andre's expertise was probably invaluable right like i mean he's, right, he's the founder of yield yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> jinx the guy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah, but I don't know. I don't think I would. I would recommend any any other, you know, founders to be. You know, I don't know. I I didn't see a this is not financial advice appended anywhere to that blog post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's such a risky move and could have just like easily gone the other way for them. Um, and it's essentially what happened to SBF, right? He was gambling away. Well, not really. I mean, at a high level, at a super high level. Except that he was gambling with not his money, but users' money. But uh, pretty much, you know, it's like they, they, the gambling went the right way for for uh, Phantom and Andre Kanye. It didn't go the right way for SBF. And, uh, or three arrows. Or three arrows, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, not not. It's only a crime when you lose money. <laughs> exactly. Basically, they got out in time before the crash, mm. so they were they were okay. Yeah, they yeah. were able but to time it. Everyone else who was left on Phantom was not okay because once they once Andre quit, TVL dropped ninety five percent. Most tokens dropped ninety nine percent, and uh, yeah, not a fun time to be a Phantom ecosystem participant. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, okay, but it is a fun time to be a, a, a crypto watcher, I guess. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, so it, 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 it's, it seems like we're in a, like, soap opera uh, watching this SBF drama unfold. And we will be keeping you posted of all the next developments in this saga and obviously on e everything else going on in DeFi and crypto. So yeah, thanks everyone for, for joining. Uh, hit like and subscribe. Um, a, a quick kind of clarification 
on the, our, our sponsor. Um, I, I call them like two different names. Railgun is the sponsor. Railway is the wallet uh, that that they're promoting. So that's why maybe it was uh, a bit uh, weird uh, that I was calling them by two names. But so Railgun is a project. Check out their Railway uh, wallet. And yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. And see you all next week. See you guys.